Well, please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to Joshua, Joshua and the 24th chapter, uh, on this uh, happy occasion of a uh, baptism of a covenant child. We turn to Joshua 24 to understand the manner in which we are called, we who have received the grace of God, the manner in which we are called to raise our children up for the sake of the Lord. So if we turn to Joshua 24, I will read most of the chapter. So it will be a lengthy reading this morning uh, from verse 1 to 31. But please let us give our attention to the reading of God's word as he calls us to hear himself speak to us from the word of God. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea. And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried out, they cried unto the Lord. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians and covered them, uh, and brought them, uh, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went uh, over Jordan, and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. The Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword nor with thy uh, thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them. Of the vineyards and oliveyards which ye planted not do ye eat." Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. 
And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart every man unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Sirah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Geish. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our holy God, what great and wonderful things you have done for your people. And so as I come to preach the word, Father, we pray that you would enable me to preach the word faithfully. For without your help, Father, I can do nothing. I can turn no heart towards the Lord if your spirit is not in the preaching of the word. So we pray that your spirit would work through the preaching of the word now, and all that will hear will also have their hearts conformed to the word of God, that every ear that is here would be opened by your spirit, O God. Without the spirit of the Lord, nothing we do now will have any use. So we plead for his ministry among us. And Father, we pray most of all that Jesus Christ, our Lord, would be magnified and lifted up among the people of God. And to that end, Father, we pray that you would help me speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And we ask this for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today, our society tells us that our children should be able to choose such things as even their own gender. If your boy feels like a girl, we must have him pretend that he is a girl and even mutilate him. And if your daughter feels like a boy, allow her to pretend she is a boy and take hormones that will do unimaginable damage. Such evil things are afoot, people of God. Young boys and girls horribly mutilated and will one day, not too long from now, will be full of great sorrows and you will have to be prepared as a church to minister to them. But before our society committed such evils, Christians, in fact, have done a greater evil by mutilating their children spiritually, by telling them that they have a choice to be a Christian or a pagan, rather than telling them from birth, no, you are a Christian, not telling them, as, as, as you say to your whole house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All of us, from parent down to infant. Beloved, God expects, he expects your children to be raised as Christians and from birth. Yes, they are to receive Christ by faith themselves. Our elder prayed in that manner. They are to repent of their sin, particularly before God. But as parents, we never give them a choice for any other path but the straight gate and the narrow way. We give them no choice but Christ, the way and the truth and the life. We will not dangle the world. We will not dangle idols before them. We will not put them before Jesus Christ and say to our children, as so many Christians do, Well, whichever way you decide to go, well, one day choose what works for you. No, God abhors. He detests such a thing. He has sovereignly, sovereignly given your children to you. He has put them in a Christian home. What is his expectation? That they be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not given a choice between atheism and belief not given a choice between false religions and the true religion? Why would we ever do it, friends, if we truly are born again, anyhow? It makes no sense when we consider the blessing of being a Christian, of having Jesus Christ, having the forgiveness of sins, and the eternal glory to come. Why would we ever want our children to be anything but Christians and from the heart? Not when you know, if you know, 
that every other path leads to damnation. So our theme is, a believer's house must serve the Lord. A believer's house must serve the Lord. We'll consider that under three headings. First, let's consider Christ's grace to us. We'll actually spend most of our time there. Second, our choosing of Christ. And third, our homes serving Christ. First, Christ's grace towards us. This is where we have to begin when we consider our homes serving the Lord. You begin first with the grace of God. That's where we must begin. You have to remember what great things the Lord has done for you if you are a believer. You must remember the covenant promises of God towards you in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Joshua does here at the end of his days. As he prepares to go into glory, he brought all of Israel to Shechem and exhorted the people to serve Jehovah. And he does so in view, he, he recites, that's why the reading is lengthy today, in view of God's gracious covenant towards them and every promise that the Lord had fulfilled, every promise the Lord had fulfilled for their sake. All the manifold mercies of God, all undeserved and unmerited favor towards them. He reminds them of all of that. In the prior chapter, Joshua 23, 14, he said, And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. God has done everything that he has promised for them. A promise that began hundreds of years ago. And as you consider where they assemble, where was the promise given to Abraham? At Shechem. Which is why Joshua brings them back to this place. He brings all of Israel to this place. For that place hundreds of years ago, God promised their father Abraham, unto thy seed will I give this land. Genesis 12, 6. And here, here is the seed of Abraham. Hundreds of years later, millions in number in the very land that God had promised to them. What an extraordinary picture of God's covenant faithfulness. And do you remember how extravagant that promise seemed to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, at the time? First, it was extravagant because Sarah was old and barren and they could have no children naturally. Second, that Abraham's descendants could ever possess this wonderful land filled with powerful nations. What an extravagant promise that was. A promise impossible to imagine could ever come to pass. It might make you laugh as it made Sarah laugh once. It would be impossible if it were not Jehovah himself who promised by way of a covenant. Genesis 15, 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, unto thy seed have I given this land. Now, you have to read that very carefully, friends. Do you remember what tense it is in? In the perfect tense. In our sense, almost past tense. I have given this land. He says it to Abraham, it is theirs. Not I will give this land. I have given it. It is theirs to have. I have sealed it with my own covenant oath. And what do we hear of Abraham, the man of faith? He believed in God. And what? It was counted it to him. For righteousness. You read it in Romans 4.20 and 21. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now that's a man to follow as an example of faith and patience in the promise of God, friends. And in God's timing, miraculously, you remember Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, a token to them in their own life that, that Jehovah did not lie. But for hundreds of years, it still seemed as though God's promise was impossible to come to pass. Abraham's descendants were slaves in Egypt with no power against the world's greatest might, Pharaoh. And in the land promised to Abraham's descendants, powerful pagan nations arose. The spies said it was a land filled with giants. Yet through all of that, God was working to bring his promise to come to pass. And then at Shechem here, after the exodus and conquest of Canaan, at the very place 
the promise was given to Abram, there stood millions of Abram's descendants in possession of the promised land. Jehovah vindicated. What a beautiful testimony this was on that day to the promises of God. That faith in God will always be vindicated and never be shamed. That paradigm, that truth, friends, you need to keep it in your mind constantly. Never stagger in unbelief. Be strong in faith. Give glory to God. Be fully persuaded that what he has promised, he is able also to perform. All of it. Joshua reminded them of this before laying on them an obligation to follow the Lord. He recited their history to them so that they would be reminded that all you have is of the grace and power of God. Child of God, you are prone to forget that. You are prone to forget that. You are going to think you are self-made or you are going to heaven just because you are good. God warned Israel that they would be tempted to forget that. That what he, they have is really because of him. In Deuteronomy 8.17, he said, Lest they say, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. That's the way we are naturally. We think all that we have, I have done. And in case they thought they had earned the promised land, the Lord through Joshua reminded them of four miraculous histories of his covenant faithfulness to them, showing them that there is no way that they themselves have come to possess this land. First, in verses 2 to 4, Jehovah recites his dealings with the patriarchs. You heard, I took your father Abraham, I gave him Isaac, I gave Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Second, in verses 5 through 7, Jehovah recites his salvation in the exodus from Egypt. You heard, I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. Third, in verses 8 to 10, Jehovah recites his power for them before they crossed the Jordan. You heard, I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side, Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. And of Balaam, but I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand, in verse 10. You see, God had turned even the curses of his enemies into blessings. His promise was unstoppable by any foe. Fourth and lastly, in verses 11 through 13, Jehovah reminds them of his conquest of the promised land of the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And culminating in verse 13, where they stand today, and I have given you a land for which ye did not labor and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. Do you notice the pronoun in all of this? I, I, I. Yes, the Lord uses men like Moses, but in effect, he did it. I sent Moses. Moses did nothing if I didn't send him. I, Jehovah, did it all for you. I gave you a promise you never deserved. I gave you grace by my own hand that you could never obtain yourself. I have given you grace for grace. Think on Joshua, who delivered this message for Jehovah. How well this man knew that. If any man might say, we came to Shechem by my arm, by my courage, by my ingenuity, it was Joshua. But Joshua knew it was all of God, nothing of himself. It was not his power, it was not his might, it was the grace of God that did it all. And just who did the Lord do such great and marvelous works for? For a people who are stiff-necked, constantly grumbling, people like us, sinners like us. In Deuteronomy 7, God said that there was nothing significant about his people except for one thing, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. That is why these particular people have received grace. The Lord loved them. And he gave a covenant to them and he would keep it. Recognize, child of God, you are God's entirely by grace and out of his eternal and immutable love. So in having Israel gather in Shechem and reminding them of God's word, what did Joshua do? It's such a wonderful thing that this man does. He opens the book of special revelation, the word of God which he reminds them of every promise out of the word, but he also has the book of general revelation opened at Shechem. 
showing them the land and showing them the providence of God, showing them and preaching to them God is faithful. He is worthy of our praise and adoration and service. To show them, yes, there is a true and living God, and it's not the God of the Amorites, it's not the God of this, the gods of this world, it is Jehovah alone. For us, how do you apply that? You must see Jehovah's, you must see Jehovah's love for you. You must see Joshua's recitation of God's loving kindness back then. And see, it was still not the full picture yet, was it? Because God's gracious covenant had not blossomed to its fullness. It was still unfolding and unfolding and unfolding until the Son of God arrives. For when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Now that is the one that Abraham longed to see. That is his seed that he longed to see and that you have seen if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has given us the greatest deliverance of all, far beyond deliverance from the Amorites. Salvation from the very wrath of God for our sin. A far greater thing than Canaan's conquest. Victory not over mere Pharaoh and Amorites, mere men, but over our three great spiritual foes, our flesh, the world, and the devil. He conquered death itself when he arose from the grave on the third day, so that we who are in Christ, what does he say? You who believe on him will never truly die. He's conquered the grave. In Ephesians 2, and I thought it's such an interesting parallel, what Paul does in Ephesians 2. He recites your history, believer, as Joshua did, that you were dead in trespasses and sin. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or conduct in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's your history. A child of wrath, unable to be saved, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 teaches that is your history. It is my history too. A child of wrath, a lustful, wicked sinner, a blasphemer. And it is what you were outside of Christ, believer, and what you are, unbeliever, if you are not in Christ. Liable to the wrath and judgment of God for our sin. We are, in other words, in the, the, the story of redemption up to Joshua's point, naturally we are not Not the Israelites, we are the Canaanites. We are like Rahab, who had to turn to the Lord, liable to the wrath and judgment of God. But then Paul speaks, as Joshua did, of the grace of God. Those two blessed words that come next. But God, who is rich in mercy, for what? His great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. What great love is this, believer? A love for those dead in sins and trespasses, bringing us to life together with Christ, saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, those precious words, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of who? Yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. It's the same story, friends. Joshua 24, Ephesians 2, the whole Bible, all of it. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the grace and love of God that saves us and blesses us. A message all throughout this word that preaches grace, grace, grace. It is all of grace. Believer, it was Jesus who conquered your mighty foes. It is Jesus who conquered for you sin and death. And on the cross, he conquered your great foes, nailing the power of the law to condemn to the cross because he took the wrath of God you deserve, grace totally undeserved, and wrath undeserved for himself that he took for you. You don't deserve grace, and he did not deserve wrath. And that is what you have received, that great exchange in Christ. Conquering the wrath of God that you should have resting on you eternally. 
What a victory the second Joshua has won for the believer. Unlike the first Joshua who had the humility and the right humility to say, I have done none of this. The second Joshua can say, it was all of my hand and my travail. For I am God in the flesh to give you victory over sin and to give it to you, my beloved. So we praise God and say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with what? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 And we bless Jesus saying, of his fullness have uh, all we received. What? And grace for grace. Why did Joshua, Paul, and even myself this morning spend so much time testifying to the grace of God? For this reason, when the Lord lays an obligation on you to serve him, your flesh chafes. Even if he never gave us grace for grace, right? We are obligated to serve him, the God of heaven. But how much more so is our obligation when you realize the truth that God owes you nothing but he has given you everything in Christ. It was never ever my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this. It was never my covenant faithfulness. It was his. It was never me. It was all Jesus. By grace, you must remember you begin. By grace, you endure. And by grace, you get to glory. All of it is of grace. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 5.2 And by faith in Jesus then, you have access into this glorious free grace of God. Unbeliever, if you've never heard this before, you need to believe this today and receive Jesus Christ for yourself. And you will be reconciled to God who will become your father and you will rejoice in the hope of glory and have eternal, everlasting life. But for you, believer, do you meditate? Oh, how Joshua meditated on the grace of God. How Paul meditated on it as well. Do you meditate on what the Lord has done for you in Christ? How freely? You have to know that these godly men, they freely could recite what God had done, Joshua and Paul. Can you open also those two books of Revelation, a special revelation here in the Bible, and see what Jesus has done for sinners, but also look at the book of Providence and see what God has done in your own life? Can you recite what the Lord has done for you? Can you say with Samuel, hitherto hath the Lord helped us? Can you say, I read the promise, I see it fulfilled, and I see it being fulfilled on the way to glory in my life and in church history? What God has begun, he will complete. He told Abraham, I have given this land. And he has told me, I have given you eternal life. If so, if you know these things, are your affections on Jesus having received grace for grace and every blessing? Or are your affections on the idols of this world and your sinful lusts? The very things that Jesus came to conquer through death. Well, having heard the grace of God, spent most of our time there. Let us consider our second heading, our choosing of Christ. In verse 14, Joshua gives a command. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. This is your calling too if you are saved by grace. You are called to put away the former things, your old idols and your lusts and sins. You are to serve Jesus out of gladness for the wonderful things the Lord has done for you. Friend, if you truly knew and you truly understood and you truly took to heart what God has done for you, gratitude would well up, wouldn't it? It would give you a desire to serve the Lord, not grudgingly, but out of sincerity and in truth. Sincerity, meaning not grudgingly, but out of the heart from grace and in truth by discovering how to serve the Lord out of the word of God. That's an important principle, friends. To serve the Lord, you must do it in sincerity from the heart and in truth according to the word of God. That is the hallmark of what is called evangelical obedience. Obedience not to serve, uh, not to earn rather, salvation, 
but obedience out of a gracious estate of salvation. So Joshua, I love the way that this man uh, is moved by the Spirit. Joshua strikes while the iron is hot, so to speak. He has laid before the people the grace of God, and the Lord's grace is, is heavy on their mind. And he gives them a choice in verse 15. And what a choice this is, right? And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. You have to understand the brilliance of Joshua here. It appears to be a choice, but he's giving them no choice in the way that his rhetoric is here. You, you see the utter brilliance of two rhetorical moves by Joshua that you really cannot understate. First he asks, right, after reciting all of the goodness of God, how can it be evil to serve Jehovah? Is it so evil to serve a God who is so gracious and loving? In what possible way could you say that this God does not deserve our service? Believer, tell God now. God is asking Is it evil to serve me? Is it evil to serve me? Is it evil to serve me in the way that I call you to serve me? Is it evil to serve the gracious Son of God in sincerity and in truth, who bled for you, who died for you, who gave you life everlasting, who exercised his own power for you while you were powerless? Or is it evil not to serve this Lord? Joshua's second rhetorical move is to remind them of the ineptitude of idols, and you really need to understand this, friends. The gods of the Amorites and the gods of the Canaanites and Egyptians could not save their own people. Who conquered the land? It was Jehovah. And yet the temptation is so perverse in our hearts, isn't it, to chase the very things that Jehovah has conquered. Those things could not save the people of that land, and yet the temptation is to serve these idols. In other words, Joshua asks, why would you ever serve them? In the same way, friends, Jesus has conquered Satan. He has conquered sin. He has conquered the world and its idols. Why would we ever serve them? Joshua showed Israel, really, he puts this choice, right? But it's all rhetorical. In other words, there is no reasonable choice. No reasonable person is going to hear any of this, right, and say, well, I guess I should serve the gods of the Amorites. Jesus shows you, and you must take it to heart, there is no reasonable choice but Christ. None at all. So friend, who will you serve? The idols of this world that cannot save you? Money, sex, power, entertainment, and celebrity? Or will you serve Jesus Christ in sincerity and in truth? Jesus' rhetoric cuts to the point faster than Joshua. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 8.36 There is a choice before all of you here today, which is really no choice at all if you are a reasonable person. Serve Christ or serve sin and Satan. There are only two choices. That's the choice before you. And the thing is, a fallen man is so blinded by his sin that he would rather choose to perish with the world than to choose to live for Christ unless the grace of God breaks into your heart. Romans 3.20.21 asks the question this way, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Same question. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Jesus will be your master, leading you to life, or sin, the master that leads to death. Beloved, your idols, those things your heart, and an idol is really anything your heart desires over Christ, they cannot bear your soul's weight. They will never bear your soul's weight. An idol in the Hebrew language literally means nothing. It means vanity. That's what the word idol means in Hebrew. It is nothing. Why would you commit your life to them? You see that the idols of Canaan could not stop Jehovah and halt the promise of God. 
But if you're an idolater here today, and I don't mean just uh, like from my family background, somebody who's a Hindu or somebody who is uh, living for literal idols. There are so many idols in this world. I mentioned a few, money, sex, power, entertainment, celebrity. If you're living for those things, those things cannot save you. And you will not be blessed in service of them. Look at the end of every person who has chased those things. Death and damnation and destruction. Even in this life, you see men, perverse men like Hugh Hefner. What did he become? Nothing. But idolaters who repent, if that is you, are blessed. They received the grace to know what Rahab, that idolater, knew when Israel was at Jericho. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Acknowledge what Rahab did. If you serve idols, friend, serve the living God, Jesus Christ, in sincerity and truth. Just put your faith in him and he will bear up your soul. He will take you to glory on his back. And Christian, you cannot hang on to your idols and serve the Lord. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Matthew 6.24 I'll ask it again. Who is owed your reasonable service, Christian? Who is owed it? Your sin? Your idols? The world? You think the world will be there for you when you die? No. This world will be burned one day. You must be the servant of God, freed from sin. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you have the free gift of God in Jesus, your new heart has been freed to become a servant of God, to produce holiness, and its end is everlasting life. And so boxed into a rhetorical corner by Joshua, the people make the only reasonable choice. Verse 16, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. They acknowledge that the Lord was gracious in verse 17 and said in verse 18, Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. At this point, you might think Joshua will be quite satisfied and bless them and move on. Instead, Joshua says something that might be taken as discouraging. In verses 19 and 20, he says to them immediately straight away, You cannot serve the Lord. For he is an holy God, he is a jealous God, he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that he hath done you good. He doesn't mean that it is impossible in any way to serve the Lord, but that it is impossible outside of the grace of God. It is also a warning to not enter into an obligation to follow the Lord lightly. To choose to serve the Lord, listen well, is life-altering and is meant to be final. You cannot, this is what happens, right, with so many. In fact, so many men will even preach in this way. Well, why don't you try Jesus out for a little while and see if your life gets better? You cannot play with the Lord like that. You cannot try out the Lord for a time and decide, well, he's not my cup of tea. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And that is who we deal with, the God of heaven. He will consume you if you fall away. You heard that congregation in Hebrews 6 uh, a couple Lord's Days ago. Jesus has told each of you, count the cost before following me. Luke 14. He says, yes, take me freely for salvation, but remember, count the cost before you do. You must be my disciple. You, 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 I will save you freely, but you are obliged to bear your cross, to deny yourself daily and follow me you're to die to self you're to kill sin you're put away the world you are to serve me with gladness and have a holy conduct believer you could only do it by the grace of god that's why he says you cannot serve the lord not if you're going to say well i guess i'll follow the lord in my own strength no you begin by the grace of god you serve by the grace of god and you persevere By the grace of God. Paul said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. But like Joshua, what does he say? Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. 1 Corinthians 5.10 
through prayer, the word, and sacrament. You need to ask for the grace of God to serve Jesus by grace. If serving Christ seems too hard for you, you must plead with the Lord for the grace to do it. That is why the petition comes in the Lord's Prayer, that we are to pray, Thy will be done in earth as in heaven, because we cannot do the will of God ourselves. Now you can understand, with all that context, and I'm sorry it has taken this long, but it's necessary, because it is only now you can understand Joshua's immortal words that are often taken so far removed from its context. In verse 15, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, fine, all of you, you can go the way of the apostates and the idolaters. If it is just me and my house, we will serve Jehovah, so be it. We will resolve to serve the Lord. And Christian, if every other Christian resolves to serve the world and idolatry, you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in this, We see that serving the Lord is not just a personal decision. It involves our whole household, not just us. You need to consider Joshua's resolve, friends, and make it your own for your own home. And that's when we will conclude then with our final heading, our homes serving Christ. And this is the mistake so many of us make, friends, that we see our service of the Lord so individualistically. Our faith is so individualistic. And that brings us to today's baptism service. But uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bileman back there, you know, everything in this text, these are principles for your home, for your home. You have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, your Lord, and he calls you to commit your, Lord, uh, your home to the Lord. You are not to give your children an opportunity, these two young boys, no opportunity to serve the idols of this world, not a single decision for them. You must warn them of the evils of sin, the evils of worldliness, of other gods, and the evil of unbelief itself. You're not to even let them play with such things. And that means you must put these things away yourself first from your home. Your home is under a covenantal obligation to be Christ's and to serve him. Your obligation to the Lord is to raise these two boys, these children, for his sake. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That might be hung on your walls, but it is meant to be hung on your heart. God's grace and promise of grace as well to them is part of his covenant, just as he made it to Abraham. Which is why Peter reminds you of Abraham when he preaches in Acts 2.39 and gives us those precious words, for the promise is unto you and to your children. If the promise is such, what is the obligation? Our obligation is to raise them for Christ. If he has promised to be a God to our children. He has said covenantally in 1 Corinthians 7.14, Now are your children holy. They're not the children of pagans. They're holy, set apart for the Lord. And God, all of you believers, uh, your children are not profane. They're not children of the devil and of the world. God has sovereignly put your child in your home to be raised as a holy seed for himself. And so as you present this young boy today for baptism, you must do it in faith, an expression of Joshua's resolve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We pledge, you must pledge, to raise Silas in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And this baptism is going to be a testimony either for your faithfulness or against you. In baptism, we say that we recognize this boy is a Christian and not a pagan. And when you see whole households baptized in the New Testament then, such as Stephanus in 1 Corinthians 1 or Lydia in Acts 16, that is their pledge and that is their promise and resolve. Just like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This whole house, not just me, I am saved and converted, but I pledge before God that my whole house will serve the Lord and we are all baptized. Parents, You must resolve that you and your children both will serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. Tell them to serve the Lord in sincerity, 
Tell them the only way you can be sincere in service to God is not just by being good externally, but you must be born again. You must take Christ in the heart and you must repent of your sin. You must tell them, no, your baptism does not save you, but it actually does something profound. It obligates you. It obligates you to be the Lord's. You are obligated to take Christ in the heart and repent of your sin. Then you are to tell your children, learn the Bible. Learn the word of God so that you can serve him in truth. Parents, bring your children into the corporate worship of God. That they would see that they are one of God's people. That they're not going to be one of God's people one day, but they are now. They are now. Parents, also bring your family your whole family, your children as well, to the family altar and family worship. What does every, every day that you conduct family worship say? It, it, it takes the words that you may have put on your wall, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and it makes it real. Family worship says, yes, we will serve the Lord. But also don't neglect to bring your children before the Lord in private devotions, just as Job did. I will never forget an elderly minister I sat next to at Synod one year, um, he once told me of his dad's influence to him at such a tender age. You know, as a young boy, one day, for whatever reason, he woke up super early and he heard his dad uh, in his office in his study. His dad was a minister. And he walked past his dad's office and he heard his dad pleading with the Lord. And his dad had no idea anybody was awake. His dad pleading with the Lord for his son's soul. And he said that, that affected him so greatly. And here this man is now an elderly man who was a minister of God himself. All because the Lord used his dad's prayers. And he said, I will never forget that, Ram, as long as I live. Because his dad was a man who was fervent for the truth. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Mr. and Mrs. Bileman, you must train up Silas in the way he should go. Plead with him daily to take the grace of Jesus Christ for himself by faith, to repent of his sin, discipline him in righteousness according to the word of God and not the world's ways. Say to Silas, as in the proverb, right, Proverbs 23, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Parents, what a challenging verse that is. Give me thine heart. But what's the second part? You know, we often ask, give me thine heart. Let thine eyes observe my ways. What is there to observe in you, Christian? Is there holiness? Is there a love for Christ to observe by your children? Or is there worldliness and idolatry and sin? Will he see, will Silas see you serve the Lord in sincerity and truth? Or will he see you serving your idols? Will he see you constant in the world and its amusements and its entertainments? Or will he see you constantly on your knees? before the word of God and in prayer. Say to him, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Say to him, live a life of holiness unto the Lord. Live chaste and pure before God. Tell him, spend not your time in fleeting pleasures of sin, but abide in the things of God. But he has to see those things in you as well, parents. Read the Bible to your children, the word, in their earliest days, even today. Later on, tell Silas to take up the Bible, sing the Psalms, pray daily and fervently. Give him a Christian education where the world's ideas and lusts do not intrude. Can you imagine Joshua say, sending his children to the school of the Amorites after saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Take up Jacob's words, all of you parents. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Genesis 35, 2. If there is idolatry in your home, any of you, put it away. It is never too late. Rid your home of filth and anything that is contrary to the word of God. Cleanse your home and put Christ in his proper place there so that we can all say to our children, Give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. You will be pledging to do this in the baptism of your covenant child. Remember that these are your pledges before God and keep your covenant promise to God. In like manner, 
In verse 25, Joshua binds the people to keep their oath. They said, we will follow the Lord. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And in verse 27, And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. The baptism of this child will be a witness to you in front of God and us, lest you deny your God. Well, time is short. The text is rich. Let me conclude with verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Now, there is something very bittersweet about this, isn't there? Because you flip the, the, your Bible one page over and you enter the book of the Judges and you see the evil of the people of God very quickly. Sadly, the people were faithful only so long as Joshua and the elders were alive. Parents, your children might have an outward conformity so long as you are alive or they are in your home. So you must make sure that their hearts are reborn before they leave. That is to be your great prayer and their great need. Make sure that they do not follow Jesus for your sake, but for Jesus' sake, so that when they leave your home, you can charge them. You can charge them whether it seems evil to you to follow the gracious Lord Jesus Christ or not. And your hope would be that they would say, Mom and Dad, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will leave your house, and our house will serve the Lord, because we have tasted the goodness of God in your home, and we will have it for ours as well. Pray for that in this boy's baptism that for a thousand generations in the Bauman family and yours too would be such resolve. May God give us all grace to see such things in our own homes, and if we do not see them presently, that we would not stagger in unbelief, but hold unto the promises of God by faith and still resolve to serve him in sincerity and in truth. Amen. Let us now rise and seek the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we confess before you, Father, we do not meditate on the goodness and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Forgive us of such things. Help every soul here resolve to live for God. If any here do not know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, give them saving faith, Lord. Make this the day of salvation for them. Give them a new heart that they may, they may believe the precious promises of the gospel. And for those who do believe, Father, if there is anything to repent of in the home, we pray that there would be repentance and a renewed zeal for the Lord, that they would resolve, each of us would resolve to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, you are a faithful God. Would you fulfill your covenant promises to be a God to us and our children? We rest on the promise of God. Help us never stagger in unbelief, but be fully persuaded that what God has promised, he is able to do. And we bless you and praise you that that is the case. We thank you in all things, in Jesus' name. Amen.